Hey, welcome to episode 35 of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Matt Enloe. And I'm Oren Kaplan. And today we have a guest, Jody McVeigh-Schultz, who just directed a feature that premiered at Dances with Films and is being distributed by Gravitas. And he's also an editor on such greats as Duck Dynasty, Drunk History, and he's doing a new show for Netflix. So he's got some really interesting tidbits about how to tell stories in the edit and also his experiences in making a film for himself and trying to really steer his career to a place where he wanted it, which is something that, you know, we always want to do. We're always thinking about. Yeah, Jody's got a really great perspective on the nature of documentary filmmaking and how it applies to a more scripted narrative structure. It's a really interesting conversation, and like Oren said, it's a really uh, inspiring story about a person who has a great career and then pivots to something equally great. So it's another great one. But before we get into that, Oren, what have you been working on lately? So, you know, last week I talked about how I had my TV pitch, and we did the pitch, and I think actually it went pretty well. I mean, you know, you never know how well things go, but we were in the pitch room for like, you know, at least... 30 minutes and we showed our presentation. There's this big debate about whether we can show a visual presentation or not. And of course, I showed up there with a laptop and everything. I went to the receptionist and I was like, hey, uh, do you guys, I have like HDMI cables, DVI, USB, anything you want, like Apple TV. Can you let me into the conference room before a pitch so we can set it up? And she's like, oh, the conference room is booked. You're going to be pitching in an office. It's like, okay, well, uh, I guess I could just show it off my laptop. And she's like, she called the person we're pitching to and they're like, yeah. And so not only did I have to show it off my laptop, but like there wasn't even like a table. So I was just sitting on a couch and the laptop was kind of next to me. And Julie, who I'm pitching with, I like, couldn't even see the laptop, but the, the people we were pitching to could see it. And I think it was worth it. And I think it was helpful. And it went really well. And she had a lot of questions. Oh, so this is something interesting. So Julie and I have this whole, you know, basically spiel ready. It's like, you right. know, we, and we yeah. introduce things at the slideshow. We talk about the pilot, the season, all that stuff. But as soon as we sat down, the woman we were pitching to was like, so um, I read the script. How, I, like, I get the pilot, but how, like, how does the rest of the season play out? Where does it go? <laughs> and Julie and I were like, um, well, the, uh, should we jump to the season part? And then Carlo, who's kind of the producer that's, that's shepherding this project, is like, um, well, they kind of pre- did this presentation that they have ready. Is it okay if they do that? And she's like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. And however you want to do it. So kind of got saved by him, but we were kind of panicking there for a second. Anyway, we did the whole pitch. But long story short, today we found out that they passed on it. But they they told us. So the company is it's called Assembly Entertainment. I believe it has a deal with ITV Studios. And they Christina Wayne is kind of the head of the company. And she worked at AMC and shepherded Breaking Bad and Mad Men. And it's kind of credited for working with Matt Weiner and uh, Vince Gilligan to get those shows ready for TV after everyone else had passed on them. And I think I think that's a pretty common structure for production companies, right? Someone will have a successful career at a different TV network or something like that. And then they'll, after a, a reasonable tenure, kind of leave, start their own company and try to do it for themselves. Yeah, right. pretty much. And so what they said was, uh, their kind of feedback about our pilot. And this kind of came out in the room, though they hadn't quite passed on it immediately. They, they needed to discuss it amongst themselves. But they said that for cable, what they like, and especially what Christina Wayne likes, is kind of having pilots with main characters in them. Like one main character that you can really kind of hang your hat on. And 
develop and dive deep. And it's all about slowing things down Mm -hmm. and getting into the psyche of this person and why this show is kind of their kind of natural extension of that. Sort of the Walking Dead mold then, right? Yeah, or Mad Men or Breaking Bad. Sure. Which is not to say that you shouldn't have other great developed characters and storylines. It's just start with one, get us into that character, and then open up the world. Whereas our show kind of starts off right off the bat with three storylines. It's a bigger Mm -hmm. kind of, I mean, it's nothing like Game of Thrones, but more like, I don't know, even a show like Quantico or something. I I guess it did feel like a little bit more broadcast or even like The Leftovers. Anyway... It's this interesting balance, and ultimately they said that they felt like our script and our show felt like a broadcast network television show, and they're focusing on cable. They thought that our show could work for cable, but it would just take too much work from where we were at with it. And we were pretty hesitant to kind of drop a couple of our storylines. I mean, we've developed this thing forever. It's your baby. Like, you don't want to leave those characters in the dust and all of that stuff. We just kind of feel like we found this right balance of teaching people about the world by showing how different characters experience it and that it any any one character version would feel incomplete Mm -hmm. and we'd have to start getting like really kind of pulpy in order to make it easy to understand what's going on and we kind of like this more complex world without really right and wrong and it's more about like examining who we are as people and how we react to knowing our own futures anyway needless to say they pass on but it was a really good experience and i thought that tidbit about single characters for cable dramas versus multiple storylines for network was an interesting barometer of how they measured whether a show was for them or not. And so, yeah, that's it. Also, I will talk about this at the end of this episode, potentially, but I do want to mention that my wife's movies trailer came out. It's called The Night Watchmen, and you guys should definitely check it out and Google it. It's really fun, and my wife is like the brunette in the trailer she talks a lot in she's it. she's got a lot of screen time in the movie for sure yeah she's definitely the lead i mean it's like an ensemble cast but she's the female lead and there's a lot of male leads so anyway the night watchman n-i-g-h-t uh, watchman uh google it and check out the trailer and it's um by our previous guests uh mitch and phil the butcher brothers it's actually sorry it's directed just by mitch altieri oh. phil did not work on it it was a director for hire job oh pardon me yeah, but it's with the same producer, Sorry, Jeff Aller, that they've worked with a lot and done other movies with. So it's not a Butcher Brothers film then? No. Oh, interesting. Hi, guys. I'm sorry to interrupt. We just wanted to let you guys know that we are finishing up next week's layout. We're going to be working late, so no need to come in. Taser is a blazing. What brings you to this line of work? Well, this was the only place that would hire me. Ouch. So, yeah, that's what's been going on with me. Uh, what have you been working on lately? Uh, yeah, you know, I think a, a lot of exciting stuff for me that I can and cannot talk about. But I think a thing that's interesting for listeners of the show, earlier this year we talked about how I had been working on a pilot and um, delivered all of these materials, blah, blah, blah. And I'd just been waiting to hear, waiting to hear, waiting to hear, waiting to hear. And normally when it takes a company to get, it takes them a while to get back to you, it's easy to be like, oh, well, you know what? They don't like it, right? Uh, and I was at that place, basically. I was like, all right, I'm going to wait for this revision to come or for it to revert back to me, and then I'm going to take that back to, to market. And, you know, it's okay. No harm, no foul. I'll take it somewhere else. And just recently, we had a great phone call with the company. Who knows if it's going to be a green light or not, but it just goes to show that 
it's very hard to second guess what a company is thinking or what they're looking for unless they tell you what they're thinking or what they're looking looking for. So uh, not dead in the water, still very much alive, which is super exciting. But I think in terms of just uh, being aware of how long these deals take to happen, how long it takes for everyone to make up their minds, all of that stuff is just, it's, it's in slow motion and it's impossible to really impart how uh, long and excruciating the process can be. So keep your heads up, yeah. listeners at home. I heard this interview with Nick Stoller today. Who he directed Neighbors 2. And the five-year engagement. And the five-year engagement. Which I love, which is a weird thing. Yeah, not my favorite movie. But he also directed Get Them to the Greek and Forgetting Sarah Marshall. And I think was- I'm literally the biggest fan of the five-year engagement on the planet. Okay, well. I can't wait can to endorse make- it. I'm going to meet Nick Stoller one day. And I'm going to be like, hey, I love this movie. And he's going to be like, oh, he talked about why he made that movie. It's because he made Forgetting Sarah Marshall and he was like, I just felt like the best scenes in that was really like between Jason yeah. Siegel and Kristen Bell and Jason Siegel and Mila Kunis where they were getting to know each other. But there was just so much other stuff we had to get to that we couldn't right. really spend much time in those scenes. So I wanted to make a whole movie that's just about those scenes. Sure. But anyway, he said that his just de facto standard attitude towards any project he's working on is just assuming it's never going to happen. And he's yeah. like, and then if it does, I'm like so happy and surprised. And he's like, I'm still work hard and I try to make everything right. happen, but I just assume everything's going to take forever and not happen. <laughs> and then I'm happy when it does. And that's a, that's a director who's had a ton of hit movies yeah. and <laughs> continues to make movies out, like every year. Yeah. So keep, uh, <laughs> stay positive. I keep guess, on keeping on everybody. And in the meantime, drop us a line at just shoot it pod. We'd love to hear uh, questions or stories about your perseverance yes we love perseverance perseverance or just you know like uh, just drop us a line it's been a while since we've talked to our listeners and uh, you know yeah it'd be nice to hear from you mom (laughs) (laughs) Uh, okay anyway let's talk to jody 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 mcveigh schultz how you doing man doing good uh so besides being a very accomplished editor cutting shows like duck dynasty and drunk history he led with duck dynasty <laughs> busting balls early on well done <laughs> wait that you cut duck dynasty yeah for four seasons my quote-unquote claim to fame is uh that i've cut the episode of reality television that has the most cable viewers of all time are you serious yeah so it's like 12 million viewers or something oh, uh, wow. season four so Duck me, Dynasty is the most watched. Yeah, isn't that sad? Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no absolutely. I used oh, more to than the through. Housewives and the Kardashians. Yeah. Oh and yeah. The, yeah, the they, Voice. They mop the, the floor. Southerners. With yeah, yeah. Okay, well. they mean business. Duck Dynasty. I, I remember when I was at Comedy Central, we'd sit through ratings meetings, and I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> it was like, "Wait, but what?" No, it's not on Comedy Central. No, that's what I'm saying. You see, like the oh, competition. Oh. So it'd be like the ratings would be like Duck Dynasty reruns of Big Bang Theory. And then our stuff, wow! Yeah, like 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 during sweeps week and reruns of Duck Dynasty as well. Wait, so yeah. get like two million views. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm talking like Can I get personal, Jody? Yeah, do it. Are you? You don't have to answer this. You can just say you don't. Want no, to I'm going to answer it. But are you? Uh, do you lean uh, <laughs> Democrat or Republican? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you should have used other words. That would have been great. Yeah. Uh, no, I definitely lean. Uh, even further than Democrat. Yeah, yeah, you're you're like Bernie, pretty. You feel a oh yeah, I'm I'm burn it down. No, I actually, 
You're, Bernie's okay. You're progressive. I'm progressive. You're, That's the, you're not the word of choice in LA. I'm not a conservative. But, yeah. So, uh, but you're editing this show that is probably viewed. Would you guess super that at least weird. 80% of your audience is conservative? Yes. Uh, but what was interesting about it is I was there up until about a week before that entire controversy broke. But we knew that, like, that grandpa guy, like the patriarch, yeah, the, held those views because we'd have to sit through interviews where, like, they, and they made it very non political. That was like the idea behind the show. It was like, they're homophobic views. You're talking well, about. No, but he wouldn't even go, he just would talk about, like, we'd be making some joke about how he's a grandpa and, like, he still uses, like, strychnine to like clean stuff <laughs> and then he'd be like you know what needs a good strychnining both coasts of america <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're like well that's not okay that <laughs> no no but then you'd get into like the sure. 30, 30 minute long but then uh, you'd explain why no you get into the 30 minute long like rants on abortion and then okay. you know, yeah i mean it, what he never said anything like he did in the interview that i remember but i left and then kind of like laughed at my friends well i guess still there dealing with it do do you think that so the edit so you know we always talk about editors here because we you mm-hmm. know are very into editing and we yeah. know that's you know obviously like the third time you're like making your movie and especially in unscripted stuff uh, which obviously is scripted and then these people are kind of trying to fit into the story but at the end of the day you guys are kind of building right. the moments and and like kind of sewing the narrative and almost teaching the lessons right. Yeah, which I think I, I I apologize. I've never seen the show, but I'm assuming it's oh yeah, it's about family. You know, it's about it, family. There's not really lessons learned. The lessons are more like just sort of silly redneck jokes about like don't eat like berries off the ground because it might be poop <laughs> and stuff like that. Like they literally, a, that's a real episode. That's a right? real yeah, episode. Yeah. <laughs> but if they're not fighting and making up and that type of relationship, no, stuff, it's, there's no drama. But there, but there is at the end of every episode. By the way, we can't talk about Duck Dynasty for most of this because <laughs> no, that would be don't, terrible. Don't I would just cry the whole way home. <laughs> um, no, there is at the end of every episode. There is this family dinner that's all done on Dolly. Mm-hmm. That's like mm. a different, like it's, it might even be a different camera. That's like all like, like greased lens and yeah, and uh, all slow mo. They're like eating and like passing <laughs> right. the rolls and stuff. Pouring milk. And on they the do head. every episode. Is like every this? single episode, every single. And they, uh, we were gonna do it where it was like, we we were trying to make it a lot weirder at the beginning. So we we're gonna do a freeze frame, and then it would be like, what are those boys getting into next? And it's gonna be like Dukes of Hazard style, but um, they didn't okay that. What's weird is that people, you'll see like Facebook comments on it and they'll be like, oh, this show's so funny. And I love that they turn it around and make it about Jesus and family at the end. Like, that's so real. (laughs) And you're like, well, and you know, without getting farther than I should into it, uh, you, like, they didn't eat dinner together. (laughs) Like, obviously, they don't work there anymore. I mean, they make, like, thousands of dollars. Every second. Yeah, (laughs) every episode. So, um, yeah, really strange. Well, I guess what I'm... So, I had this theory. Sorry, this is a big (laughs) No, go for it. I had this theory back in the day when, like, Windows 98 came out. Like, everyone started browsing the web, right? And almost everyone had Windows back then. 
and you would get Internet Explorer with Windows. That was like 90% of web browsing was done with Internet Explorer and like 10% mm-hmm. with like Netscape. It's still a staggering percentage, actually. Right, because it's like what all grandparents use. Yeah. And Internet Explorer, when it came installed with Windows, the default homepage was msnbc.com <laughs> because it's Microsoft's, you know, portal. Yeah. And I always thought like MSNBC leaned a little left. And so their articles and headlines and everything, you know, there's no such thing right. as like unbiased journalism, right? Like you can say, uh, you know, five Palestinians killed or you can say, you know, eight Israelis almost killed, but, you know, fought back, <laughs> whatever. Then right. you can you can frame anything in a way that, that you can lean either like pro-war, pro, you know, anti-war, abortion, shooting, guns, whatever. Um, and so I kind of was wondering if like through technology and this just came up with like Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg like last week, right? Right. They're saying Facebook maybe is like manipulating what uh, news headlines are shown in people's feeds and they're kind of uh, favor more progressive, you know, left leaning headlines over right leaning headlines. And Facebook is not is obviously supposed to be apolitical. And right. Everybody uses it. Right. Um, so I always thought that through technology, you can kind of subtly be influencing like pushing society to the left right and so as the editor when you have like kind of this control over Mm -hmm. this very conservative audience it's traditional and that maybe is leaning in ways that you think are hurtful or harmful or whatever that you disagree with like you kind of have some control a little bit it's very subtle obviously sure you you do it's funny though because i would see that that control is not, it's kind of non-existent for a show like Duck Dynasty because it, it's so non-threatening, like everything about it, it. Like we try to make it a little weird. So like the grandpa would be like, he'd be like chaperoning a impromptu date between his grandson and the grandson's girlfriend. And he'd be like, look at this crawfish penis. Now see, here's why you shouldn't get gonorrhea. <laughs> and like, that, that's where they would go with it. But other than that, it was like very, very tame and non-threatening and like had to be as broad as possible but what's funny is he would always be in these interviews and every time he'd be like now i would talk about jesus here but i know it's too real for you hollywood type and he would like talk to us (laughs) right through the footage he he knew he was going to be censored basically yeah but what's funny is we didn't send like we let them pray every time right right. we literally had them mention jesus Every single episode. Well, because that's so, what the audience yeah. was. But I guess you could either yeah. play to the audience, which is probably the smart way to go to right. make money, or you could try to know, like, hey, you have this captive audience. Maybe there is an episode where he finds out that his plumber is gay and is actually like a really good plumber that's masculine. I don't, you know, <laughs> sure, sure. And like, he's like, oh, it's actually a pretty good plumber. Like, just like I don't think they would like agree that. to that plot, but <laughs> yeah, I. So they have to approve every plot, I guess, before. And I guess it's all scripted at the end of the day. So more or less. No. Well, I mean, what do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) They have to agree to a plot before you shoot it, but it's not scripted. Contractual obligations is all I'll say. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, we talk about unscripted stuff on your own. Everybody everybody knows. It's a a sitcom. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. And and, I mean, they're real people and they really do these things, but you are trying to find a story and you're trying to hedge your bets when you go shoot that story. Right. And have a plan, right? On our last podcast. Have a a firm plan. Yeah. We had Abby who. Who, Abby Fuller. Do you know Abby? No. She directs directed a few episodes of Chef's Table on Netflix, a oh, documentary cool. series. She was talking about how you know they have a whole plan and a script and everything before they go shoot. And this is a, like a documentary documentary. It's not even a reality show. So 
anyway yeah it's fascinating i always i always am i mean i never i i'm i'm really into politics like on my own i don't really i'm not very vocal about it i don't really talk about it on social media but i always think like like the greatest achievement you can have is if you can kind of like open up some minds or change brainwash some people through our are the work we do yeah well the um, thing i just finished actually is, is much more of that i i feel like uh I just did this show. It's a, a documentary series for Netflix that'll be out in July called Last Chance You. Um, and it's about a, a junior college football team in rural Mississippi. So like about a town of 700. But they... 700 is the size of my <laughs> high school graduating yeah, class. That's insane. not an exaggeration at all. Yeah. And they take essentially all the cast-offs from major... Division one uh, football programs that either didn't make the grades or got in trouble. One of the guys who is not featured on the show, but is there now and will play next season is this guy who got, you know, national media coverage for punching a woman in a bar at Florida State. And then like it was his first summer on campus. And then video came out and he was immediately expelled. He went on Good Morning America to apologize publicly. But then this college was like, Sure, yes, we would love to have this. <laughs> and then they got a bunch of flack for it. Um, but w- like with, a prison college. <laughs> yeah. Well, but what's interesting is, so these guys have a bunch, a lot of bad raps, but, you know, if, if that person's, like, main marketable skill is they're amazing at football, do they deserve to never be able to play football again sure. because they did something awful? And, I mean, and if they were pro athletes and they did that very same thing, would they be punished the same way? Yeah. Well, right. and, and that's well, starting I, I to become a thing where they are, but that something like that is awful enough to yeah to end get your career. Fired. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, and it happened with Ray Rice. So yeah. But uh, the interesting thing is, this is also about you know a lot of layers in in college football, like the way that uh, student athletes are exploited. It's about the sort of sham of academics, and just you know about like race politics in the South. All that stuff is kind of you know, built into this. And then they're also this team that beats everybody by 80 points. And so everyone hates them. Right. And I won't give it away, but there's like a bunch of drama that goes down surrounding that. And their coach is like, his name's Buddy. And he's Mm. like a very... Like he's a sweetheart? (laughs) He's a very loud uh, Southern white man who is like absolutely charismatic, but also is like just yeah like he's like a walking contradiction so right and so you think this documentary will kind of open up some minds about uh i hope so it was interesting because you know it was one of those things where you know you're working on something like duck dynasty for instance which it would spend a couple years since i worked on that but um yeah working on this new show we got to have conversations about like nuance and you know like themes that are like really complicated and like interesting and it's never that's like a totally new conversation to have and so like when you're in the middle of those conversations you're like oh wow this is i'm like very lucky to be here and so Uh, do you find i mean you're doing you cut drunk history which is mostly scripted right i mean obviously they record the drunk person but then they they shoot so yeah the way yeah it's actually an interesting process they shoot like four hours of a drunk person telling a story uh a number of times and then they cut that and we do like a number of cut downs so like start at 15 minutes and then eventually you boil it down to like a seven minute 
thing that becomes a script and then they do playback like a music video on set. So yeah, it becomes a, a, a script, like it's fully scripted. So how but much the time between not. the drunk person telling the story and shooting the Quite a bit. I would say like you're doing several of them, but because it's like three per episode. But yeah, like a month to two months. And do they use all the drunk people that they record? Uh, very rarely do they get re- It's usually because either the person didn't get drunk at all or the person got way too drunk. And that <laughs> you, you usually you can still like salvage it. But I mean, if they're having to like give somebody oxygen to like keep them alive, <laughs> then like maybe we shouldn't. Is yeah. there a medic? <laughs> yes. And they are not allowed to get over a certain uh, blood alcohol. Blood content. Oh, yeah. Back. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Because I mean, if you're Comedy Central, like you can't have somebody sure. die yeah. in that show. That would be, or, or just even be, or you even know, go to the hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah it'd yeah. be go, really bad. Going to the hospital like would cost them millions of dollars in lawsuits, right? For sure. Yeah, and just like the whole thing for us, because I think it's this weird thing of like you're clearly expected to drink, but they are very careful about making sure that you know the the narrators on the show who are getting drunk are, don't feel pressure to actually drink. Almost to the detriment of the show, because some people are like, "All right, well, then I'll just get buzzed." Oh, yeah. I'll be, but you're like, "Well, have you seen yeah, the like, show?" No, it's not the place. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like there is that sweet sweet spot with the show where someone pukes, but is still okay. <laughs> that's the that's like we exactly just edit out the parts where they're not okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, just, but that is true. Just a person who's like, "Oh, hold on," yeah, and then cut to like Derek, like listening to someone retching in the bathroom. Yes, so cut I've cut back, wipe, wipe their <laughs> lips off. So what was I saying about Mary Dodd Lincoln? Oh, right. Right. Yes. That's the... I feel like Duncan Trussell got to that point. I didn't cut his... The first one that went online with uh, Edison and and Tesla, he's like on the ground, like lying in his own puke, just being like, this is a terrible drug. Wait, so they don't even know the locations or the cast or anything until after they recorded. Yeah. Well, but they do know, and I know this just because you told me, but they, they kind of have researchers who have a handful of stories that maybe yes. someone could be interested mm-hmm. in. Right? Yeah, so they'll generally give people a choice of several different stories, um, but they kind of know where they're going. The crazy part about it is that they have each of their actors for one day only. So they have to do like a nine-page script or a 10-page script in one day. Right. I and think so the beauty just, of it is you end up with a bunch of wonners and stuff. Yeah. Like the, It still manages to be a really cinematic show. That's right. pretty incredible. Yeah, and they do think about it. You know, like, it's a constraint, but then you have to work within that, and it, you know, turns into some really amazing, you know, wonners. And, and like that. you're on set for those sometimes, right? Is that right or not? Every once in a while. I mean, usually it's too busy to, but, but I've been on set for a couple of them. What's your favorite episode you cut? Ooh... That's interesting. So this past season, uh, I did space, and I actually cut it with a fellow editor. I had to leave, but it was Kyle Kinane, who's amazing, and he got hammered. And he was just—it was a lot of him just being like, "It's space. I'm floating in space. I'm floating in space. It's the best thing I ever did in my life." He's the first human being to do so. Everybody's watching TV. This guy's out there. The whole country's, oh, we did it. We're the best. The first secretary, Brezhnev, is like, Leonov, good job. A little belchy. Not barfy. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> so Leonov's like, okay, I did it. 
Can I get back into this craft? But yeah, he was good. Nick Rutherford was amazing. And that was Philadelphia, which is where I'm from originally. And he just like got so drunk. He like went to that weird place. And it's funny. I've pitched stories to them because I want to, because I enjoy getting drunk. (laughs) I want to be on the show. But I think you have to be a comedian to do it. Comedian or writer. Cool. And so have you cut any scripted shows that are like straight up narrative? So, right, the one I'm doing right now is technically the first scripted TV I've done, uh, and it's an animated series. Oh, right. That's the Nick Kroll show. Yeah. Yeah. So it's called Big Mouth, and it'll be on Netflix in like five years. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's funny. There's kind of like a running joke that they're just like, yeah, this is going to be a long time. Well, how do you edit an an animated show before it's animated? So I'm doing the uh, radio edit. Oh. So we're not even to animatics yet. Just dialogue. Just dialogue. And sound effects. Um, and, and sound music. effects. Yeah, but it's funny because they're... So it, this is the first time I've done this particular type of job. And I want to just like polish it and like fully like put in like ambiances and like, you know, sound effects and all this stuff to sell everything. And they're just like, oh, no, no, just pull it off. <laughs> well, um, and we should clarify. So it's a uh, this comedy show, Nick Kroll, John Mulaney, and then like yes. a ton of uh, comedy people that you love, right? Yes. So I imagine there's a decent amount of ad-libbing, a little bit of right. um, improv as well. So part of what the, the radio edit isn't just like, you know, yeah, copy just, and pasting. Yes. You're really crafting it in, in a similar sort of way that you would almost to something that's non-scripted. Is right. that right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's actually very similar to Drunk History because, you know, there it's a lot looser and they don't have a script, but you are kind of finding these gems and making it all fit into a story. Um, and then also, it's like, how far do I go down this rabbit hole of like a funny tangent that a drunk person takes? And in this case, it's like, all right, Jordan Peele is like playing the ghost of Duke Ellington and like just riffing on heroin use. And it's like, how far do we go down that rabbit hole? And it's, yeah, it's really fun. And it's, it's like kind of all gold. So you have to figure out what is really worth it and what doesn't destroy the integrity of the scene and all that. Right. So, so I'm sure our listeners would be interested in knowing, like, how do you get all these jobs? Ah, that's a good question. So I started out getting most jobs in reality through friends that I went to USC with. So Matt is somebody I went to USC with, and he actually gave me a job at one point. I did. That's um, true. Yeah. Oldbroadcaster.com. Yeah. Defunct. Well, now defunct. <laughs> so don't go there. It's, yeah. yeah. So Jody, though, I think a thing that's interesting about you that's so we have a lot of editors turn directors on the show for sure. But uh, I think most of them are linear. They're guys who have a script, right? Right. Whereas because you came up in reality and that was mm-hmm. kind of, you know, we went to school together. It was kind of the best way to make a living straight out of school yeah. by far, by yeah. far. Like I think like the people who were editors who moved into reality weren't worried about the writer strikes so, quite so much. They were making real money really fast. Yeah, and so you that class of dudes, you all have uh, story chops in a way that's different than traditional editors. You know right. what I mean? So you're like I, I joked about the writer strike, but you're literally crafting the stories in yeah. a way that an, a traditional scripted editor isn't doing quite so much. Their hand isn't quite so heavy. Right. One of the first uh, reality shows I got was this thing called uh, Setup, and it was a 
Speed Network show. And wait, wait, speed, is Speed Network a, a? I don't know if it still exists. Network? It's a cable network for cars, but like car racing and other stuff. Oh, yeah. But they were doing original programming, and this guy who was a who had done car commercials, who was kind of like a maniac, really. He made this show, and then he just kind of handed off all the footage, and he had zero producers in post. He was just like, I'll watch the cuts every once in a while. So he handed this off to somebody who I went to school with who started his own post-production company Wait. named Kyle Jackson. Oh, crazy. Yeah, and so we made this show. We made two seasons of the show, and literally our AE was like, I might as well outline these shows because there is no outline and there is no like set plot. And then we just cut them. And, and it was really like you make up the entire storyline uh, from scratch. And so that's... So you'd bring someone so, in to do like voiceover to kind of string everything together? You know, it was a lot of interviews. And so it was really just building, yeah, like like a documentary, but as if you didn't have a producer or a director in-house. Because the director wasn't really there. He was just like, oh, that's good or that's bad. And he would say stuff like, uh, he'd be like, come in and he'd be like, look, you guys cut harder, you go home. <laughs> he'd be like, what? Just utterly worthless <laughs> yeah. information. He Wait. said at some point he was like, I actually think this isn't terrible advice, but he's like, I never do fades. Because like fades are for pussies that don't know where to cut, and you're like, you're like, it, there's a good actually, there's a good lesson in there, which I, I, is yeah, that I'm, I'm a hard my cut. My friend, my usually, Occupy film guy, I, <laughs> I, I cut this doc. I like kind of helped him edit this documentary, and I did a couple of crossfades, and he was like, absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> I don't do crossfades. I'm like, yeah, but I'm editing. He's like, yeah, it's my movie, no crossfades. <laughs> and it was it was a crossfade? It was a dip to black, which I think a dip to black totally is different. different. Oh, so much class here. Yeah. I love a dip to black. Yeah, well, yeah it's an act break, right? I haven't like okay. the dip to white. Yeah, you know Ooh. if it's like sci-fi. Yeah, look at you. Should Six watch my under. show, Miss Two Twenty Fifty Nine on <laughs> Verizon's Go Ninety. So. That's that's really impressive though that they just gave you this footage and I feel like probably four out of five people I was gonna say nine out of ten but probably four out of five people would be like well I have no direction I don't know what to do yeah <laughs> I would say ninety nine out of a hundred I'm frankly. just gonna go get a different job but you were like hey I can make this show be whatever I want this show to be yeah and there was a team of people doing it um, which was nice like the post team just kind of would figure oh, it dude. out together yeah that kind of stuff I do think informs how you see scripted material like when i was doing my own film you know i there's a scene that's like almost entirely created out of just kind of like bits and pieces and i didn't yeah i didn't have the budget to do reshoots but i remember um our actor was actually having a laughing fit during this one scene it's a scene that uh chrissy's in and honestly what i found in a lot of the scenes chrissy being matt's way chrissy being matt's sorry Christine uh, Weatherup. Yeah, Christine Weatherup indeed. And what I found is that like I'd often just feel like I overwrote something because the goal for this was to be naturalistic and uh, subtle and to not overwrite. And I you you realize that like it's so easy to overwrite. But anyway, I was cutting I was cutting way back on the dialogue. So Sam, the lead, was having like a giggle fit where that he could not recover from. And I have this close up of him trying to hold back giggles and it turned into this shot where he at the very end of the scene they're like starting to make out and uh they're like about to get it on which is 
great for to talk so, about with so you. So weird. Yep. So uh, weird. And uh, he just like earlier they have both farted <laughs> under the covers, and then there's this close up of him trying to stifle a laugh, and then he just lets off like a very long, slow fart, and that's the end of the scene. And none of that has anything to do with what was in the script, but it worked really well. It's funny because it sounds. Oh wait, just they like, really farted. No. So wait, so hold on. Sorry. I want to make sure I, I, I need to, yeah, this is, this is so, complicated. So you, you, you wrote a scene. Yeah. And then in the edit, you're like, yo, this is this isn't working. It's yes. not working. Right. Yeah. So then you go ahead and based off of your experience as a documentary or documentary editor slash uh, soft scripted slash yeah. reality editor. We're yeah. like, you know what? I know how to recreate this this scene with the yes. footage that I have. Yeah. So you Frankensteined a little bit of your lead in a giggle fit. Yeah. Added some farts, <laughs> and then kind of cut around the footage to create a scene about these two characters farting in bed. That's kind of a, yeah. like a tender, genuine sort of moment where they're kind of uh, uh, reconnecting almost yeah. through, through farting. Through yeah. farting. Wait. So and I farts- used even some dialogue from another scene as well wait so the farts were not even scripted at all no so yeah the way the scene goes is at the beginning of the scene they're sitting watching television and they each it's like a scene about how comfortable people get with each other and the the guy farts and then in response the woman farts and then he so that was part of the script yeah he tries to dutch oven her Okay, and, and force her to. So it's it's not the it's not like the, the fart. farting preacher where you just like decided to add fart sounds to the scene. <laughs> just constantly. That that would really be incredible though. Uh, I took her with me. It was my first time taking acid, so uh, it was uh, I was on holiday. Acid hadn't made me sad huh? yet. Uh, Dutch oven that shit. Get it. Dutch Gross. oven. Come on. Gross. Get on there. Let her let her odors intermingle as one. <laughs> You are a sick fuck, William. Exactly. That's why you love me. That is not why I love you. Oh, yeah. Then why do you love me? Don't worry about it. I will start on top, but this time you are doing the heavy lifting, mister. <sighs> Spoken like a true member of Generation Me. <laughs> you know, actually, I love you. Because you are a smart little fuck. But sometimes, you talk too much. <laughs> you are not getting any tonight. What? Come no, on. no, no. So, what I've heard is, and I don't know if this is true, that. One of the things that the, because it's in its like 10th season, but the Duck Dynasty editors uh, have been adding fart noises, like very (laughs) subtly under things and seeing if they can get through the mix. So like a a chair will move and they'll try to hide a fart noise. But yes, it's, uh, I think what you, what you don't realize if you haven't done that kind of stuff is like literally every option is still available to you. And you would get notes, like I would do like competition style shows um, when I was cutting reality and it would be like, we need this person to say this. And you'd be like, well, right, right, they didn't say that. But you can't do that because it's very easy to just take 
11 random words and make them into a sentence, you know, yeah, they, to they go like, you taught me frankenbiting. Yeah, right? frankenbiting. But so that, that, you know, and I'm not doing that when I'm cutting a feature because that would be awful. But are you uh, playing that, footage like in reverse and yeah. doing little tricks like no, that? No, constantly. Shots constant. And... My, my one trick is that if somebody's fairly still at the end of a scene, that you play it and then roll back. Mm. And then you to can the like stabilize if you need to. Yeah, to make the shot. Because like oftentimes, and it's not even like you won't roll a long enough, but an actor won't hold something right. for a long enough because maybe it's they didn't know it was the end of the scene because it became the end of the scene or something like that. And I constantly do that. Are you guys fast cutters? Like you um, say cut as soon as the last words. No. I think because of that, I'm not. Yeah. I used to be kind of fast, but now I'm like really slow, like annoyingly, like, like, you know, people, yeah, are, people like are looking over huh? at me. Like, yeah. right, if if we're done? in coverage and the scene has like, I know, like, oh, I really only need the top of this scene, but the, there's still more script to go. I won't call cut, which is kind of stupid, frankly. But if it's the end of the scene, sometimes I call cut where I'll actually edit just out of instinct. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, cut, yeah. beat. And cut. Yeah, and cut. Yeah. You just, it, it just feels like, oh, this is the right way to do it, and that is, it's very stupid. I should, you should well, always give it an I feel like day. there's the two schools of thought. There's like my, my school of thought, which I don't think is necessarily right, but it's just like because today in digital, we're like rolling all the time, and as opposed to when we're shooting on film, we would cut if we need to move a light or something. And so now... While we're rolling, waiting for something to be set up, you'll say a message to the editor or something. Or uh, DPs always do this, and it drives me nuts. But they like wave their hand in front of the lens mm-hmm. to like yeah, signify yeah. it's like a new take or we're waiting or something. And to me, it's like, dude, just keep shooting and don't move anything because I might there might be something here. The actor might sit right. down, and I all of a sudden need a shot yeah. of an actor sitting or down. Or they might start laughing. Yeah, yeah. Right. Try to stop from laughing or anything, and so it's all useful. Yeah. So that's yeah. one school of thought, except for your operator's palm. Yes. But I guess the other school thought is I was doing this like a documentary thing or not doing like a cover, like an event coverage thing or whatever. I was shooting this event for some video game launch or something years ago. And it was me and some guy from like entertainment weekly or something. And I was like shooting like five takes and doing this and all these angles. And and the guy comes in, he like does two shots. He like walks over somewhere else. does like three more shots. Like, Hey, I'm out of here. And I was like, that's all you're shooting. He's like, been in the business for 10 years. I know what shots I need. I'm out of here. <laughs> um, and I was like, wow. Yeah. Like, and that guy's stuff's going to be on TV tonight and right. they're going to edit it in like two minutes because he only shot right. the things he needs. Right. And so I think that's kind of like the balance. I always like to shoot a ton of stuff. Yeah, I and, overshoot. And when a scene's not yeah. working, I'm like, did you look between the takes? Did you look at the end? We did some series. We did things. Right. Like, are you, you know, I'm always like hunting through footage. Yeah. Well, and that is the reason why I think sometimes like having a, a hand wipe to show like, oh, this is actually two takes is helpful. You know what I mean? Like if an operator is like putting their hand in front of the lens, it's like, oh, okay. Like we realize there's actually more going on than just one. Yeah. You know what I mean? And this last this show idea. I did, like the assistant editor, sometimes if we would do a series, he would put markers where every take started mm-hmm. on the timeline. You know, so when the editors are looking, they can just jump from take to take. But on occasion, he would like miss a take. Right. And I'd right. be like, sometimes you'd be missing a shot from a scene. I'd be like, where is that? Or I know we did this. And they're like, no, you didn't do it. And I'm like, we did it. And then, I don't know, when I edit my own stuff, I always scrub through everything. I'll yeah. fast forward through stuff. I don't yeah. just jump around. And I don't know. It's like. It, That's it, an it's A, a it's thing, an interesting though. Your A balance. should be marking. 
like takes within takes yeah. you know what i mean right right yeah but, but yeah. you know they're going through yeah, tons of, of cameras I, and I think that that it's an interesting thing where i think on Orin and my level where we're doing like not broadcast tv shows yeah. there's not as much accountability for an ae an ae is going to come in yeah. set yeah. up your project and then leave Right. right, so they they don't even non-union. know non union. They don't even know that they missed a shot. They would lo- they. It's not that they don't take pride in their work or anything, but they're just literally not around to know that they right. fucked up. Right. Uh, whereas your AEs are super dope. Yeah, yeah. but I've even like we AAs, like yeah. we shot sometimes four K, sometimes two K, and I would see in the edit some shots, and I'd be like, "There's the absolutely no yeah. way we would ever frame this shot like this." Yeah. And I tell the editors, "Are like, this is a shot." I just like zoomed my frame to current size and it's that's the size i'm like something must be wrong here and it was because it was like so many nested files and everything right at some point one mistake was made and so i don't know but if you only shoot like the shots you need that stuff doesn't happen so where do you where do you how do you strike that balance especially so you didn't sorry the we're already 42 minutes into the interview so (laughs) you made a feature film echo lake yeah my wife is in it as we talked about yeah as well as uh, it stars Sam Zwiebelman. Uh, he's a guy who's, I've seen it a couple times, which is nice. Uh, it's just on the festival circuit. It's mm-hmm. up for release. Yeah, June 14th, it'll be out on VOD. Through Gravitas, which is super yeah. dope. Yeah. Yeah, right? It premiered in Dances with Films. Yeah. And has toured around. It's been really great. It's about uh, Will, right? Yeah. Played by Sam. He's kind of going through a quarter-life crisis. Mm-hmm. His dad passes away and leaves him in this cabin. So he goes up to find himself and have some adventures. Chris Malika is also really great in it. And uh, Jillian Lee. A bunch mm-hmm. of great friends, actually. Like, I guess, kind of before and after the film. And what's it about? It's about this this guy's dad passes away, leaves him a cabin, and he goes to get rid of that cabin. Yeah, so he's he's kind of a screw-up. And he's estranged from his family, really. But especially his dad, who is an alcoholic. And... His dad dies and leaves in this cabin, and uh, he doesn't really want it. Like, he kind of sees it as the kind of final F you from his dad because it's kind of like he sees it as like a pointed message to him about, you know, the fact that he stopped going up there and that he abandoned his family kind of thing. And he gets kicked out of his girlfriend's apartment and heads up there because he has no place to go. And he thinks he's going to sell it, but ends up coming essentially to terms with all this stuff, this detritus from his dad's life and seeing, you know, somebody from other perspectives. So he meets one of his dad's friends and he inherits his dad's dog. And yeah, it's it's a film. It's like a really small film about mostly this guy and a dog and a few other people in the middle of nowhere. So, so the dog acting in this movie... Some is top-notch is dog really acting. genuinely incredible. Like, there's some really like there's a dog that sells a punchline, <laughs> like sells a masturbation joke. That's real good. It's my favorite shot. It's really really movie, strong. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's two dogs in the movie. The other one, um, the one that uh, he in- inherits from his dad, mm. you know, is a real character and is a real catalyst for the plot. And I think it's a good way of introducing people to the idea that you really did bring uh, this documentary sort of background into your feature film. So even though it's fully scripted and it's, it's meant to feel very grounded and realistic, you know, you brought that, that indie DIY doc feeling to this, to this narrative feature film. 
Yeah. Um, so in addition to talking about dope dog acting, tell us just a little bit about how you approached the film in the first place. Yeah, so I was working on Duck Dynasty, like we were talking about at the time, um, and, and really just wanted to work on something with vastly different sensibilities. And I, I kind of came to the story from the place because it's set in Northern California in this place called Last National Park where my family has a cabin. Um, and we didn't shoot at the cabin, but we were thinking about it for a while. Um, and I really just wanted to like have an adventure and at the same time make my first film, um, which is kind of a terrible idea. It's like really romantic, but also just like really dangerous in other ways. Well, and um, this is all out of pocket as it's well, It's all right? out of pocket. Yeah. So I, I was self-funding and I kind of figured like, oh, I'll do a Kickstarter at some point. But the nice thing about editing reality is I had made a lot of money. I just felt like if I'm not using this money to forward my career, then what am I doing? So yeah, I took a lot of savings and I wrote this script that essentially cut down on certain production difficulties. I also put like boat scenes and a bunch of dog scenes in it, which is like, <laughs> was probably a bad move in turn in that regard. Well, like half the movie. Yeah, is dog scenes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, you put two dogs in that I put movie. Two dogs. It was originally called Dog Dynasty. Yeah. Dog Dynasty. <laughs> it's all gonna be about dogs. But uh, woof. <laughs> um, I I was waiting for a further punchline there. No, no, wolf, no? Is, wolf is all I got. All right, <laughs> I like it. So anyway, I, I, you know, it was like about constraints, and and what's interesting about writing a, a film like that is it comes out really quickly because you know exactly what you can do and what you can't, and I also had the date of shooting during the summer to contend with. And so, you know, we just pretty much had to do it. And so I wrote it, I think, from, you know, like winter of 2012 to spring, like took me maybe three months. Um, And so was the approach to the script like, hey, I have this cabin. I want to travel somewhere. I know a few actors that I think like, did you have these actors in mind? I didn't, um, but they were friends of friends for the most part. Yeah. So I didn't write it with actors of mine. I kind of had like archetypes, but. But yeah, it was like, it started really simple and then you just start building sort of complexity on top of it. And so is I just, it a personal story at all? Or? No. So my, yeah, I, I tell everyone when I like do interviews and stuff, like my dad is not this character in any way. It's about like an abusive father. And my dad is a very good non-alcoholic dad. But uh, yeah, it was, I, I the cabin is very much an homage to a real place and the you know, we did actually film places where I'd hiked. Like one of the central um, sort of moments in it is he hikes this thing called the Cinder Cone, which is a hike I've taken. And my, you know, dad took it before me. And it's like this kind of epic hike through this ash desert. And it feels like you're on Mars. It's kind of it's like a, a Cinder Cone is like um, sort like of a giant anthill that's like the size of a mountain. So no trees on it. Um, and it's like all made of loose volcanic rock. And then there, there's sort of a hole in yeah. the center, right? It's like yeah. a cone. Yeah, it's shaped like a cone with a crater in the center. Yeah. Um, but it's very, it's just bizarre. And I knew, so the idea was like, how do you find production value when you don't have big set pieces and you don't have production value in the sort of you know traditional sense? So how do you get it for free? And so that was, it's like, find a way to base around these amazing um, places and so we hiked with film equipment like 10 miles over two days Wow! and camped in the middle. 
Um, and that was pretty insane. That was like the toughest part. And, and it, it was Gorilla it, too. It's Gorilla. So it's a pretty small team, right? It's yeah, like you, yeah. a DP, yeah. sound person, your performers, and that's it, right? Well, I had a couple more. Camera assistant. So I had the, another producer. And the guy who the, was the dog owner, who was the dog wrangler. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, he was just pretty much a guy. And uh, then we had an AD. Hair, uh, makeup, did you say that? None. Yeah. Art department? We had hair and makeup for one night. And it was half of a night because she was like, I can't do it for that little. <laughs> um, and we need to do like a haircut scene. And Sam was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, we're going to have the art uh, like director cut my hair. And so did you, when you decided to make this movie, did you have like a certain number? Or are you like, I'm going to spend $50,000? Or- yeah. You know, I thought uh, I wanted to spend 30 um, and that didn't happen. But I, you know what? It wasn't too far off for production. I probably spent... 40 in production then like by everything you know all That's said and done and it's being released it's like 60 oh um yeah That's so which is no it's not bad at all and it's kind of insane like when you go to get like you know insurance when you're mm-hmm. releasing your film at the end of this and they're like oh so who's your production lawyer and you're like well <laughs> no one yeah, <laughs> you're looking uh, at him yeah but then you know you go and you know somebody's like well you can pay me like $300 an hour to like review these three parts of your script or whatever. And it's like the most you've paid anyone (laughs) who's worked on the right, which is so bizarre, but that's just kind of how it works. You know, it's funny. I hadn't really thought about it. Like I said, I've seen the movie a a handful of times now. You do a ton of things right in terms of not needing uh, a lawyer to, you know, approve signage or art or anything like that. It's like, it's very minimalist in that, you know, it's about people who live in an apartment and then they go up to the cabin. Yeah. There's no signage. There's no, no, nothing you need yeah, cleared or the from his about. experience in broadcast TV, he knows what he can and can't show. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's yeah. not so like it's just not, some random person being like, oh, I can't show graffiti on a wall. Sure, sure. I would never know that. Jody knows what he's doing, but I feel like there's probably an extra level of like luck in that. Like, oh, great. I didn't need this. Do you know what I mean? Or no, was that entirely intentional? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, th- and there are certain things where I was like, oh, no, you know, I'm going to blur this. Like a license yeah, plate. Yeah, yeah, yeah like logos and stuff plate, on plate. phones yeah, yeah, yeah. and shit like that. But uh, no. I, By the way, you don't need to blur those. Well. I, I mean, in my, in my So, opinion. you know, what? I actually did it because I was already taking out uh, timestamps mm. out of text messages. And I was like, I can get rid of the Samsung logo very easily but you know what it's funny because there are little things and then i saw a movie that has the same distributor to, as ours that also is from dances of the films and he had just like movie posters in the back he didn't care yeah, yeah. at all wow I, so movie the, posters i don't think you can show but no logos, you def- but he did here's the logos thing. you can show yeah this is my understanding i am not a lawyer you know so this is just what i heard but makes complete sense to me anything that's incidental where you're shooting something where uh, a movie poster, for example, those movies exist in the real world. We're not saying that they're not movies or that they, they're just movie posters. That's yeah. what they are. It's totally fine. And the reason that people are weird about it is because if you're a TV show, right, you're typically selling 
advertising for movies all the time. So if you give this free this movie free publicity when people normally spend fifty thousand dollars to do it, then all of a sudden they don't want to spend fifty thousand dollars on it again later. And that's the reason why people are so serious about blurring things or getting cleared artwork or whatever. Mm. But if you're just like, hey, I wear Nike shoes and I'm not worried about selling ad inventory to Nike later. Yeah. Nike shoes are Nike shoes are Nike shoes. Don't worry about it. My understanding is totally different. Oh, <laughs> My understanding, I mean, so when I worked at Disney, our kind of guidelines were you can show logos. If someone's drinking a Coca-Cola, you can show Coca-Cola. Can Coke logo, if someone's wearing Nikes, they can wear Nikes. If you're driving in a Honda Accord, it can say Honda Accord. But you can't murder someone with a Nikes? You, yeah, A, you can't disparage a brand you can't right. say oh he drank coke and had a mentos and his head exploded or whatever right, right? Right, right you can't say like this is dangerous for you you can't try to pass off so i did this quiznos or whatever branded video mm-hmm. with um x-men right it was like mad mad x-men it was mad men meets x-men so we got a cease and desist from lionsgate for that video they said that, first of all, X-Men was doing a partnership. Fox was doing a partnership with Carl's Jr. at the time, which is our you know, local mm-hmm. burger chain. And they had, it, there was, I, I, we did stuff for Fox too, so I know I asked them about that deal. There's no money exchanged when you, you see, um, what's her name, the blue character? Mystique, Mystique yeah. eating a, a cheeseburger in a TV commercial. Fox doesn't pay Carl's Jr. and Carl's Jr. doesn't right. pay Fox, but... Fox lets Carl's Jr. use its intellectual property, which is being very popular. And Carl's Jr. is paying for the airtime to advertise X-Men. And Fox says, by the way, you can use her mystique. And also, we're going to give you Jennifer Lawrence's body double. And we're going to give you the makeup artist um, that did the makeup for free. But you have to mention the release date of our movie at the end of your commercial. And you have to pay right. for all the all the airtime, and you have to sure. guarantee us some sort of uh, movies are amount. trademarked, I guess, which is, which is maybe well. Well, the nice thing is, if you have permission, you can do anything. You know, you can use sure. the Hope poster, you know, Obama poster in your movie if you have like permission, right? We have my movie, my first movie, The Hammer, was about this deaf character, and there's this TV show on ABC Family called Switched at Birth with these deaf characters in it, and they asked us if they can put our movie poster in like one of the characters' rooms. Which we were like, yeah, you don't yeah. even need to ask. It's yeah. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. But they they got permission. So anything that can be from at Disney, basically logos, trademarks, every that's fine. Artwork, a hundred percent, you cannot use without mm-hmm. permission. Right. Um, and artwork can be graffiti, illegal graffiti sure. on a wall. Yeah, You're yeah. shooting someone, and someone like tagged something that's like artwork and they can sue you for it nowadays you'll often find on like a super cool mural like if if it's like a mural where you're like yo i want to put this in my music video there's probably like like contact info contact info no no joke most (laughs) of them uh around town have like an instagram handle and like a twitter handle but those are legal murals legal or illegal yeah yeah but yeah so if we so if you're showing um the like you know on an a MacBook or an iMac, there's like a background image, the wallpaper image. Yeah. Like that was like created by someone as an artist right. and licensed to Apple, but not licensed to you to, for your movie. So right. that you can't show. And even with logos, like you can parody them, but you have to change a certain number of things. But to me, there is like legal things. And when we did that Burning Man thing, there's all sorts of issues of like sure. Burning Man's likeness and the shape of their, how Burning Man claims that they copyright right the shape of Burning Man, like how the camps are set up. And since oh, we showed funny. that shape in our video, like we were violating their copyright. 
Well, so, so bogus. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. so bogus, so gnarly. It it is different between something scripted, or rather narrative. I mean, and, and an uh, advertisement, an advertisement yeah. for sure. And the big thing is about if something is promoting, right? Your, so it's like it's a lot harder within a feature film to be like, oh, well, this person is promoting your film. Like, I don't have, you know an ad or like the trailer for my film doesn't have this thing that right you know, oh well yeah well let me sorry let me just finish the the sure. cease and desist thing yeah. real quick so yeah. what so we got the cease and desist from lionsgate who apparently owns Mad Men. they said look you're carl's jr and x-men already do a partnership people might assume that x-men is also supporting your movie and john ham who's on Mad Men, is the voice of both american airlines and mercedes-benz so people might assume that He's also now the voice of Quiznos. So because you guys are putting this work out there and telling the world that Mad Men is, is endorsing your product and that X-Men is endorsing your product, that must mean, like, like people might might get the wrong impression. Like and the, you're using our brand to make money for your brand. And so it was kind of our job to prove to them that that's ridiculous. No right. one would ever think Mad Men is promoting this. Is, and and that's kind of what, in the end, the lawyer said. They're like, yeah, look at this video. Like, there's no way that... X-Men is yeah, promoting this right. or Mad Men. So. It's funny how many decisions, though, come down to like how ballsy your lawyers happen to be. Right. And that, that was my point. It's yeah. like there's like a lot of legal bullying going on yeah. as well where like if, you know, you had Adidas in, or any famous shoe brand in your movie and they were like, hey, you can't do that and sent you a bogus cease and desist letter that was like, here are some flimsy legal arguments are you going to hire a lawyer and then go to bat for it? Right. Right. And that that's the real issue. And that's why I think people ultimately are as skittish as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's really expensive to defend yourself. Yeah. And exactly. stuff like that. And yeah. this project that I'm working on, just kind of outlining and scripting that I've talked to you about before, the brothers, I was going to use this like video game that I play as like one of the things, like one of the characters loves this video game in the movie. And I think based on my knowledge that it's okay for a character to love a real video game, yeah. but we can't actually show the game because that's like where you get into the artwork. Right. Right. Unless you get permission for, to do it. I, you know, the, the number one problem with all of these conversations is that none of us are lawyers. Yeah. Right. And like when I have dealt with lawyers at bigger companies, their incentive is always to say no. Right. They're very risk averse. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and that's their job. Their job is like, I'm going to keep X media conglomerate from getting sued. So get cleared artwork. I don't care what your budget is. Go yeah. fuck yourself. Or no. Right. We did this uh, house, house Game of Thrones parody and our lawyer told us not to use any of the names of the characters. Like we can't say Joffrey. And they're like, nope. Call yeah. him the, the wicked prince. <laughs> Yeah. we're calling him yeah. joffrey yeah so, and so you have to push back for sure yeah. uh but there's so much hearsay on the film set right like we're all really quoting like the thing that the smartest person or the person with the most authority on set said to us or a lawyer who doesn't really have any reason yeah to but say we've yes. also done you've worked on broadcast television we've sure. done branded things commercials and things of that nature where there are big people to sue if you wanted to sue and we've I, I've, at least i've gotten quite a few cease and desist and so i think there is some obviously we're not telling anyone sure. that's listening we're i think matt's disclaiming yeah. like we are definitely not lawyers and don't take our advice for fact um but i guess that from my personal experience that's kind of where the lines have been drawn and yeah and they're very very gray lines 
Yeah, I, I guess that's really what we're uh, what I'm saying is that everything is so gray and so blurry, and one scared person. I had an art director who was like, "You can't use an iPhone in a spot about an app for that was on the iPhone." She was like, "I'm not going to give you an Weird. iPhone," and I was like, "I just talked to the lawyers about it. It's fine. It's an app." on the Apple store. And she's like, damn it, I forgot to buy the iPhone. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, let's get so back to your back, feature. Back to Echo Lake, though. <laughs> okay, Echo Lake. So many brands in Echo Lake, you're not getting sued. Well done, Jody. <laughs> so let's get back to so something. So many brands. It's really just a big commercial. Our listeners actually might care about. How did you sell your movie? Um, so I went through a sales rep who I paid and did they find you at a film. festival? Yeah, what, what, um, they did find me. They found me at Dances with Films, and yeah, the the, the company's called uh, Circus Road, and um, they generally work with smaller films. But they have done; they have repped some people at Sundance and stuff like that. But yeah, they it, it's a very weird world in terms of like essentially micro budget to no budget films because there's not a lot of money involved, and yet the people making them still need to get them sure. out there and, and need to like essentially get past the gatekeepers um, that can get you into distributors hands and like with a fair shot of getting distribution. You know, I was going to say the, the other thing that's interesting to about you specifically is that I think there's a lot of people we've talked to Justin Lerner about this as well. There's a lot of people out there that are like, I want to make a small movie so then I can make a mini movie so then I can make a giant movie. Right. Yeah. And you, whether you want to do a giant movie in the future or not, you love small movies. Yeah. Like you saw. I don't really want to make of... a giant movie. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I was, I was kind of inspired by really small movies that were kind of like mine. And I wanted to do something like that. So like the Jeff Swanberg the, type of Yeah. Thing? So, so I am into Mumblecore movies for sure. Yeah. Duplass Brothers and Joe Swanberg and. Uh, a lot of those people, but even there was, so there was a movie I saw that won the LA Film Fest, I think in 2010 called uh, Wadu Dem. And it's this, it's kind of like a travel movie, but they, like the, the story behind it is they won a cruise, like a free cruise. And so they were like, we should have a storyline where one of the characters goes on a free cruise. And uh, so the concept behind it is that uh, this guy's going to go on this cruise with his girlfriend that she dumps him like the day before he leaves. And so he's like on a cruise, like, you know, carnival cruise line style cruise uh, with like a bunch of 60 year olds alone. And then he gets lost in uh, Jamaica. So it's like a travel film and they stayed in hostels. Like I, the, um, the USC film series is I think where I saw it. And it's like a really amazing place to have, people come and like there's like 15 people there to have a Q&A with uh you know these like just amazing people like I saw uh, entertainment there with Rick Al- Rick Alverson's movie you know him no so he did um the comedy oh yes um, yes yeah he's amazing so the that, comedy is a uh, uh, Neil Hamburger Tim Heidecker movie no no it's, Eric it's it's Tim and Eric so it's Tim yeah. Heidecker is the main character but so Neil Hamburger's in entertainment entertainment oh, I see is I think my favorite movie of last year. It's just so weird, <laughs> but the guy's like a genius. And he was like, it's funny because they would like ask him questions about story and he'd be like, I don't really want to talk about that right now. I'd rather talk about like formalism and 
like why I want to do. He's like, yeah, I'm really into like playing with people's expectations and just ending scenes where they wouldn't like you, like where the audience is like very disappointed with me ending <laughs> the scene here. And I was like, man, the fucking balls on that guy. Uh, but he was just like the way he was talking about, like he had a, um, he had a scene with essentially like a cameo from Michael Sarah, where he plays this like weird drug addict that a character meets in like a restroom, like a public restroom in the middle of nowhere. And he was like, yeah, like most of the, my job with that scene was to like play with people's expectations of what Michael Sarah will do in a movie. Hmm. You know, like that's such an interesting way to approach that. And it was so disconcerting to like be very scared of what this like weird method Michael Sarah might do. Right. It was so different from anything you'd seen him do. So anyway, so small movies you want to, so yeah, like I was inspired by that kind of stuff. And, and for me, yeah, I've had conversations with people who, you know, you, you, you try to break down like what you really want from a movie at its most basic level. And for me, it's purely that I want realism in whatever form, like I'm only interested in, like, I don't even really care if anything like story wise happens. Like, I think there's an inherent story in life, but you know, or in story that's inherent in life. But, uh, yeah, I'm just much more interested in things like being truthful. Sure. Slice of life. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why it's funny because I've had conversations with friends who are like, yeah, I, I really just want like fairy tales. Like I'm interested in that. And I can't just, I can't deal with, like sort of archetypal hmm. stories because I'm just, I don't know, they just kind of don't interest me. Well, what about so and science fiction? I mean, what if there no, is I, a truth that is like yes. from a metaphor? Well, right, and there's a lot of ways to get at truth, yeah. But in terms of the films that you want to make, yeah, you want them to be so grounded that they feel... Yeah, they feel... Slice of life. Like, like it's the idea know, that yeah. you see a movie and then you leave and you're like, oh, that's like... I, I've done that, or I've experienced that, or I feel like that, or I've or, felt Or I would have done that if yeah. my Yeah, or I know someone like cabin. that, or yeah. Yeah, where you get lost in it to the point that you're like, you're so deeply empathizing with the characters like that. I wonder if, <laughs> it's a really dumb question, but I wonder if there's like a trend, like if truth is like coming back, <laughs> like as an answer to- <laughs> I hope so. Like, yeah. Like, I, like I, you look I, at Kramer versus Kramer, you know, like all those movies in the 70s and 80s that were like really truthful about like relationships and people and even like Mrs. Robinson or Mrs. the graduate, like, you know, kind of that they've like got at the core of some emotion, whether it's like a fantasy version of it or or a really grounded kind of gritty version of it. like the, you know, Mumblecore, the Duplass, like puffy chair type movies where it's like you feel like you've had this exact same conversation that people on screen are having. And I think, you know, with all the superhero movies, which to me, like, you look at a movie like Pacific Rim that I, or Oblivion, that I, like, literally could barely stay awake through the movie in the movie theater. I love Pacific Rim. But it's just <laughs> fight after fight after fight. And you don't, all the characters look the same. They're all the same, like, you know, 28-year-old no. blonde stocky guy. One, one is a bat monster. <laughs> yeah. And so I wonder if people are, like, numb. But because the spectacle is kind of, like, the early 2000s, it's like all about spectrum, sure, you know? Yeah. Like, how do we wow people? But now it's like people are so immune to that stuff that you have to kind of come back to truth. And all. you see like um, David O. Russell talk about 
how he made all these movies and then he made Silver Lining or The Fighter and that was like the first time where he kind of started getting personal and trying to find truth and finding focusing right. on the small moments and that's when he like reemerged as this de- this good filmmaker. I, yeah. I would say that like I think the thing that's really in right now which is great is that like specificity, like being mm-hmm. highly specific whether it's you know in giant movies or small ones, but like the the ones that do well are not just pulling some generic sure, you know, storyline or gag or whatever. They're they're you know getting at something that's just like really specific to that moment and 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 i think maybe the other thing that you're getting at Oren, is that the size of movies that you're talking about the the movies that you're describing are in the like you know five to 35 million dollar range right and those movies aren't getting made quite so much anymore and it's shifting to tv right so if you if you look at the way the tv is right now like we never had a breaking bad in our parents prime years you know what i mean like there's so much incredible television that's come and gone uh and that's where the uh, complex storylines and deeper character moments are living now i think and so i think it's just that things are shifting a little bit because uh there's such an emphasis on huge box office because your marvel movies cost a hundred million dollars to make you know i think that's kind of where it really shakes out but i would love it if you know, a $35 million movie. David O. Russell is one of the only people who gets to make them. Frankly, yeah. you know, yeah. like, like you have to be uh, at this caliber where you can pull, you can have Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper be in your movies because they want to. But then you even look at like the smaller Marvel movies compared to the bigger, Mar- like Deadpool compared to, um, I know it's a DC movie, but like Batman versus Superman. Like to me, I haven't seen Batman versus Superman, but I, it, I haven't seen it because Everyone said it's so average and Deadpool is like so great, you know? Sure. And Deadpool is a small movie. I mean, there's a line in the movie where they go to like the house of the X-Men and Deadpool's like, where are the rest of the X-Men? Could we not afford to put them in this movie? <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. You know? Okay. And so I think there's something about people just, just it, that, you know, to some, for some people it's truth. For other people it's like, you know, just breaking the fourth wall or just, I, I think, you know, we're trying to always kind of find new things. And truth is something that we can kind of go back to as like this this thing that always works and we've kind of forgotten about a little bit. Maybe not. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but we no, should. <laughs> it, it is interesting, though, how much, you know, w- when it comes down to like, oh, this just doesn't work. And you're like watching a scene, let's say, in Edipe. And then it really just comes down to like, oh, that isn't believable. What that person just said isn't believable or, oh yeah, you know. Just, you know, like it really just comes down to like most performance issues are based on like, oh, I just don't believe that. I don't buy it. Well, I just watched Jurassic World the other night, which I'd never seen before. And like, I don't think Bryce Dallas Howard is a bad actor or anything, but her character, just none of the motivations (laughs) add up to (laughs) anything. And why Chris Pratt likes her, nobody knows. And why she likes him. I mean... Just nothing adds up to anything. It's just these like somehow you get a Chris Pratt and he's just like so likable. You can give him like the worst role ever and he'll make it kind of fun, you know? Yeah. Because he's like a superstar. But other like kind of decent actors, if they're there's nothing relatable or truthful, like why are they sending these kids to be with their aunt? Hasn't seen him for seven years. And like for one second, this kid, all he cares about is his aunt paying attention to him. And the next second, he's just like staring at girls in line. And then he like really wants to get his brother to run off with him to see dinosaurs. Like there's nothing, nothing adds up to anything in that movie. Yeah. Wonky. 
anyway, we should uh, wrap things up. But I, <laughs> I was gonna see if jo- if Jody could share any directing tips, anything you picked up like from making your movie that you think is helpful to other people. Um, yeah, this is probably something that p- some people have heard before, but just I think the main thing I learned was that you're gonna have major disasters kind of constantly. And you just have to be ready to, especially in a small film where a lot of things can go wrong. And you just have to be ready for that and just willing to push through no matter what. Like I I was on the second day of our film and like somebody was ready to quit. And like I got a flat tire and it was like the second flat tire we'd gotten over two days. And like a location had fallen through. And I was literally, as I was changing the flat and I didn't have service, so I couldn't call anyone to be like, hey, what's going on? And I was like literally thinking, how much money will I lose if I just pack it in right now? And what was amazing is the lead is a guy who's a non-actor, this guy, Sam, he's actually a a director and writer. And um, he just, we were like sitting around the table kind of like regrouping and he was like, look, like this is just gonna happen. This is like how it works. And you have to just push through it and just, you know, this isn't like anything strange. It's the second day and it's going to happen like 10 more times over a 21 day shoot. So yeah, to just be ready for that and to know that like, you're not going to remember that in two years when you're, you know, premiering your movie and, and it's, you're enjoying it. So at the height of the chemo, I just started looking after Otis here not figuring uh, what would happen when um, anyway we've uh, grown to love them but something like that I figured would be pretty important to you yeah I brought his uh, bowls and uh, what was left of the dry food and uh, oh his doggy hiking boots let him out once in a while and take him on a hike or two too old to be much of a nuisance, aren't you, Otis? Yeah. Oh, thanks, Roger. That's that's really nice, but I'm leaving in a few days, so... Oh, that's no problem. He's used to traveling around with us a lot. I mean, we're in the RV six months out of the year. Did your dad ever tell you about that trip he took to Yosemite with us? No, he didn't. Oh, that was a trip, boy. That was a trip. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like... um. In a funny way, you know, you just shot it. Yeah. Right? Like, I think filmmaking is always just like, well, I could stop now or I could keep going, whether it's a flat tire or, you know, like it just being hard to write. Right? You know, like I think every single step is that. And I think... um, All the, you know, powers in the universe are like joining to essentially stop you from getting it done. Sure. You just kind of have to... I mean, will you, it to happen? You have a gr- great career. You know what I mean. Like, if you were like, you know what, directing is not for me. I just want to like edit hit television shows that I love and make good money doing it. Yeah, that would be fine, right? So, like that, you were like, you know what? No, I'm going to make this happen because I want to direct this movie, and I and, and I want to make this type of movie. Right. I think is really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, and it really was. See, I hadn't started working on Drunk History. And I was kind of like, I need to manufacture a change in the kind of projects I'm working on. So that was part of it. And then, you know, completely unrelated to the movie thing, I got this job on Drunk History from literally emailing 
uh, Matt, one of our mutual friends, and his roommate was his friends with Derek. And he was literally like, I'll pass along your resume. And they happened to be hiring editors that week. And in the in the interview, they were like, so uh, Duck Dynasty, never seen it, but I hear it's really popular. And I was like, yes. <laughs> um, no, but like it, it, you know, it was one of those things where it applied because it's this weird hybrid of, you know, kind of documentary and scripted. Um, and then that job got me this, you know, this job on the show that Nick Kroll's doing. And yeah, I mean that you, you kind of have to embrace the fact that chaos is going to create a lot of your opportunities in this specific business. So, but, but for me, the film was about it's see, I, I do want to direct, but I mostly just want to work on the type of projects that I really love. Mm-hmm. And so it's more about getting in that world. And if I'm an editor, if I'm writing, if I'm directing or producing, as long as I'm working on projects that like I really, really believe in, mm-hmm. you know, then I'll be happy. So, Cool. That's that's really where I was coming from for it. Killer. So before we get into our unpaid endorsements, can you tell us what the easiest way to watch your movie is? Yeah, so you can pre-order it right now on iTunes. If you just go to echolakefilm.com, um, you can get all the info about it. And uh, it'll be released on June 14th on iTunes, Amazon, and a bunch of other places. And then I think it'll go to Netflix like probably a m- month or two after that generally how they do it the so. netflix deal is done no but it's it should happen i'm not positive about the process and they don't really it's not the kind of deal where they're like consulting us we're with gravitas ventures but they do a lot of vod they're kind of like a vod factory mm-hmm. so we are one of the films that's kind of like probably lower on their radar what they say is that they'll do windows of transactional vod and then subscription vod and are you a bundled for subscription VOD? Is it like, oh, you're getting Echo Lake and also 16 other products of ours and it's all for this amount of money? Or is it uh, individualized? I think it is. Yeah, I mean, they definitely present each one individually. But I do think, yeah, like when, you know, one of the cable companies, like Dish is buying mm-hmm. it for... Yeah, they're like, like we'll take 50. VOD. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they just want to make sure, honestly, that... Like your movie won't get them in trouble that it's not like sure too right. disturbing. Right. I think over the past couple of years, it's been gotten a lot harder to get a movie onto Netflix. Well, now they only have six movies, so yeah, they really they're really focused on episodic. But, but it's funny. I've seen. I think it really depends if they can pay you no money, which they can for a lot of these tiny films. They'll do it. Mm, um, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I like. I've seen a bunch of small gravitas releases that i've been like keeping my eye out for oh, I've good. Seen that, that might yeah. i think that might be I, I would guess what matt is saying that they're a bundle they have a deal like gravitas yeah, films yeah. get released on netflix yeah but if you were not with gravitas i don't know i know my movie and a movie on netflix and yeah. when our after three years we're they're like, yeah, we're not going to renew the contract. And we're like, well, you can have it for free. It's the easiest way to watch our movie. Yeah. And they're like, no, we just don't want indie film, like really any indie Well, films. so I believe So now that. it's on Hulu. Yeah. I don't think ours will last for more than like say three Whatever years. that window so, is. Yeah. yeah. Well, cool. So um, you know about unpaid endorsements? I do. Unpaid endorsements. All right. Well, I'll start. <laughs> Since I've got two... I've got two feature films. I, boy, I watched movies this week, and it felt great, you guys. 
normally this summer I get a little depressed when it comes to movies because um, I love a good blockbuster, but if you watch you know one after the other, you get kind of bummed out on it. Uh, and then I feel better around December, like Oscar season prestige movies again. So I've made a, a, a bigger effort towards watching movies that I'd been meaning to, like in the beginning of the summer, just so I stay in love with movies. Uh, so I've got two. I've got Dope, which is on Netflix right now. Uh, it's not crazy original. Uh, I think it's shot incredibly, and I'm hoping that we're going to have the DP, whose name is... Rachel Morrison. Rachel she Morrison. also just shot She's Confirmation. Everything. And she Fruit shot Station, a right? Tim she and Eric's uh, yeah. million dollar yeah. movie or whatever. She's Fruit amazing. She was actually asked to shoot Creed, but she was pregnant at the time. And she's like, I just saw her at a party. She's like, Yeah, man, I wish I would have shot Creed. Oh. That would have made my career. And then I was like, Yeah, that sucks. And then she shot Confirmation like a week after that. <laughs> like, it's not, I think you're okay. You're okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it looks incredible. Yeah, and I she's think really talented. The thing that is, I, and we'll talk about this when we have her on, but uh, it's just got, uh, it's a standard story, but it's got a ton of texture, right? Which is really what I think uh, a film of that size really needs. It's, it's that like, specificity that Jody was talking about. Exactly, exactly. It's like uh, black geeks in... Yeah, like it's like 90s South hip Central. hop jokes and South Central... And also punk rock, and then weed jokes, internet jokes, all at once. Well, I've been like thinking a bizarre heist story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mixed in, yeah, and like a little bit of teen sex comedy. Yeah, but, but I was thinking a lot about that movie, and it's like I guess you think if you're like, well, we're going to make a movie about South Central LA, and you know, right. you, you sure, immediately sure. go like, well, what's the most interesting part of South Central? Like the gangs and the violence, yeah, yeah. and the you go boys in the family, yeah, yeah, and the dynamics there, or even like straight out of comp, like the music scene, like yeah, yeah. whatever, but. They're like, let's take the kids that are really good students, you know, and that are geeks and that are into like, yeah, 90s, you know, music and just don't fit in there. And let's see, let, let's tell a story about them. You've never seen that angle on it. Yeah. And so it, it just felt really fresh to me and frankly, super inspiring, which is why I bring it up. It felt like um, a 90s indie movie in the best ways. And I just was so energized and jazzed afterwards. Loved it. So, you know, I think watch it through that lens of like thinking of how resourceful and smart and well cast they are. Everything about that movie does, it uses every single resource perfectly. I thought it was great. Uh, And then another independent movie, Once Upon a Time, uh, Sense and Sensibility, you guys. I watched Ang Lee's Sense and Sensibility, written by Emma Thompson. She won the Oscar that year. And that was really an indie film? It was indie, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was... Uh, um, How do you guys define indie film? It found independent uh, financing and then found distribution, I think is the way that it goes. Okay. That's my definition. Yeah, I, yeah I buy that. Fair. Like, no distribution before it's made. Right, much. right. And Emma Thompson wasn't a huge uh, star when the film got going. Ang Lee wasn't proven with uh, English language films yet. I mean, Sidney Pollack was a producer, so, it, like, look, it's got legit... Yeah. classic hollywood uh pedigree but still it was a it was a gamble right like like i said angley hadn't made an english language film yet and they were like oh we're gonna have him do this like british like you know comedy of errors right this this feel everything's felt a little strange to them but uh, kudos to the producers they were like no he's the right guy and um it's a masterpiece it's super super funny uh, in a way like that's 
you know, very British and very dry, but there are hard, hard jokes in it that are super funny. Like there's a part where Kate Winslet is like so excited that she spits on Hugh Grant's face and he just like wipes it off very daintily. It's like super funny. Uh, the plotting is great. No duh. Every single performer is great. It's Alan, Alan Rickman, Emma Thompson, Hugh Laurie is in it. Hugh Jackman is like in his prime. It's great. It's totally great. And on top of that, as a filmmaker, beyond just beautiful sunsets and like British countryside, there's really masterful character work where, you you know, you're watching Aang like transition from a beautiful wide into a close up with a joke built in all in a single camera move. It's really incredible. There's a ton of scenes that are just oneers. It's fucking great. And, And, you know, being a kid who grew up in the 90s, I was like, whatever. I get it, and like just never bothered yeah. seeing it. It's totally great. Okay, Sense and Sensibility. Get it? You like the movie? <laughs> Love you it. Get it? <laughs> so dope and dope and Sense and Sensibility. Is that also on Netflix? Sense and Sensibility. Uh, I don't know about it on Blu-ray. Worth it. It's like eleven dollars, you guys. Okay. Oren. Yeah. Man, <laughs> I'm ready if you if you need uh, a second. I'm, I just don't think I'm gonna get anything. Uh, you got something. I've been watching these Chicago shows, Chicago Med, Chicago Fire, Chicago <laughs> PD. You seen these shows? They're actually pretty good. I believe it. Best it's actually pretty good. <laughs> so they're part of the Dick Wolf, right? Yeah. Uh, un- Wolfiverse or whatever it's called. Oh, is that you know, like Shonda Do they Land, really call Dick it Wolf? that? Yeah, the and Wolf-iverse. it's part of, um, you know, he made all the Law and Orders. <laughs> right. But yeah. what's they can crazy, all cross over. yeah, and they do cross over like very regular. It's not like, yeah. oh, we have the cross. Well, they Even did. Even ha- Homicide Life on the Street. Yeah, they did have so, yeah. a crossover episode with Richard Belzer and Mariska Hargitay and the Chicago PD people. They were all working on a Chicago case that had ties to New York or something. They do have like special episodes, but just the regular episode that takes place in Chicago. If you call a policeman or the police, someone from Chicago PD will show up on any of the shows. If there's an emergency and you call like a fire truck, an ambulance, someone from Chicago fire will just be there. If you have to go to the hospital for any scene, you, there'll be a doc, you go to the you, you know hospital the where Chicago med is. And it's like, it's so cool. It's like a Kurt Vonnegut universe, but it, they don't make a big deal out of it. And it just seems like if you're an actor on one of those shows, it just seems like so awesome because you yeah. just at any moment, you sure. might get hit from some angle of like, oh, yeah, hey, can you do surgery on this uh, police character's wife sure. or whatever from this other show? And I don't know. I just think I love crossovers. I love all that yeah. stuff. And like when the Flintstones meet the Jetsons. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but that's like a special episode, right. you know. Um, when Homer Simpson was in Kimmy Schmidt, this Kimmy Schmidt episode I saw the other day, which was like so random. And the whole joke was about like, why is this guy still relevant? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't remember that episode. Yeah, it was like a, a montage of like weird things going through her head or something. And there was like oh. Homer Simpson. But what's cool about the Wolfiverse is it's not a joke and it's not a special thing. Mm-hmm. And it's not a gimmick. It's just he's created this world. Right. Of like, what are like the three most dramatic jobs there are? Being a doctor, a, you know, or the foremost doctor, lawyer, police officer or fire person. You know, I hope they do like Chicago Mail, <laughs> which would be awesome. Like the postal workers. You know, I'll, I'll admit I've uh, I don't think I've ever seen a Law and Order. Dude, you know how good that show is, right? You know why it's called Law and Order? <laughs> no, why? Wait, why? 
because every ep- there's the format to the episode. They oh, always right. start with the police. It's cops and then the and law, then- and then they they go to court and order. And it's like the whole cast changes over halfway through the episode. And it's like this awesome format. I don't know. I think I, it's like more revolutionary than uh, in treatment or any of those things. Sure. And I don't know why no one's ever copied it. Except for my wife has an improv team. It's called Some Kind of Monsters. And they do a Law and Order show where every show it's like there's a murder in the very first scene. And then two of them step up and they're the detectives. And then they go to court. And oh, that's fun. They go boom, boom, you know, between yeah, each yeah. scene and check it out. Okay, Jody. So. I was endorse. not on my phone because I'm an asshole, but I was trying to figure out if this movie that I'm going to endorse is available. So it's called Estrella. With an A? A-S-T-R-A-E-A. And it was a film that uh, premiered alongside our film at uh, Dances with Films, which is a great festival. And it's like a discovery festival, so it's mostly uh, films without known actors in them, which is very different from essentially every other sure, film yeah. festival with a name behind it uh, in the U.S. Especially L.A. festivals yes. with with pedigree. Yeah. 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 So they specifically want films without stars in them. But this is a post-apocalyptic uh, movie that tells very little about the post-apocalyptic world or how it came about. And it's essentially, it plays kind of similar to like a four-person play hmm. um, about this um, brother and sister that come across these like what seems like a married couple in the essentially middle of like the snowy woods and then like the weird like psychosexual thriller that then you know comes about between these four characters and it's really really well done and it's really taut and it's just like such an interesting departure from kind of normal post-apocalyptic type movies anyway i have one more yeah. uh, unpaid endorsement and that is for for people that are trying to find film festivals and it's really hard to be able to tell what's good and what's not so you got to kind of find diamonds in the rough sometimes and the durango film festival we got into that it's in durango colorado which is a really tiny mountain town but they did it so right oh, cool. uh, it was so much fun and you got to like meet and hang out with all the filmmakers in like a kind of friendly setting. Um, and the films were really amazing too. So I saw a bunch of films and, and met a bunch of people there. It, it's so funny. I feel like there's a lot of uh, like medium sized festivals out there who all of those programmers have their heart in the right place, right? Like everybody, right. like if you're not Sundance or South by Southwest or whatever, you're, you're volunteering for free for a year basically. Right. But when a festival nails it, like Durango, it sounds like they do. It's just a magical experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's And it's it's one of those things where it's purely, like I go to film festivals and I'll try to watch like 12 films because yeah. it's just like fun. It's like kid in a candy store stuff. And you're, it's the one part of it where you are purely enjoying yourself. And yeah, you're like, you know, sometimes you go there to network to a certain extent, but mostly you're just kind of like kids. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're like oh, I liked your movie. You yeah. like mine. Cool. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And talking about the ones that you walked out of. And <laughs> <laughs> no, but these in these uh films were really good, so and they gave you free booze, which was real real key. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty excellent. Cool. Well, thanks so much for uh hanging out with us, Jody. Uh one more time, Echo Lake. How can we find it? Just go to echolakefilm.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. 
And uh, yeah, we'll be out June 14th. June 14th. And if we want to keep track of uh, your filmmaking exploits, how can we keep track of you? Yeah, it's JodyMCVS at uh, Twitter. Killer. Uh, and if you want to learn more about the show, you can visit us at JustShootItPod.com. We'll have links to all the stuff that we talked about. And you can ask us questions. All of that's good stuff. You can also follow us at Just Shoot It Pod on Twitter. And you can follow me at Mr. Matt Enlow. And me at Smitey Pileg. I actually tweeted something. Oh, what'd you tweet? My wife's trailer. Oh. This movie she was in called The Night Watchmen. You guys should check out the trailer for sure. Also, a pretty dope Entertainment Weekly write-up, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It compared it to John Carpenter movies, which I thought was a pretty incredible compliment. Uh, and it's from uh, previous guests, the Butcher Brothers. We have yeah, both Phil Mitch and, and Phil. Yeah, if you want to see boobs for free, sure. uh, check out the trailer. <laughs> yes. The Night Watchmen. Just Google it. I've been looking for a way to see boobs for free on the internet. So that is perfect. <laughs> yeah. It's so hard. <laughs> well, it's, it's no, a great. I, is it not hard? Do you guys know something? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, Unpaid endorsement. I want to just endorse <laughs> boobs on the internet. Um, and if by you the can way, find them. yeah. Speaking of boobs on the internet, thanks uh, to Eric Rapow for editing this show. Thanks, Eric. We'll see you guys next week. Here's some music. <laughs> see ya. So, like a, a chair will move, and they'll try to hide a fart noise. People are gonna listen to this and be like, "This guy." Is so, just... so er- Eric, you definitely no, no, why? The most sophisticated parts. filmmaker. <laughs> no, of all come time. on. This yes. is the most. This is why people listen to this podcast. <laughs> oh, I'm um, saying Eric tidbits. needs to add farts. To, oh, oh, oh! To I this show. You were telling him to cut this part out. <laughs> no, 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 no! Oh, keep yeah. this part in. That's great.